Welcome to On the Way with Tony Crisp. Each weekday, Dr. Crisp will be discussing biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Tune in daily to start your day right and deepen your understanding of how to better walk the way and enjoy the journey. Here's your host, Dr. Tony Crisp. Welcome to On the Way. This is Tony Crisp, and this is the 365 Bible Reading Plan. Today is November the 30th, and our chapter for today is Hebrews chapter 9. What the Apostle Paul does here as Luke writes it out is very clear. He is drawing a contrast between the first covenant, the first tabernacle, the temples that followed, all of that, all of the ceremonies, all of the rituals, all of the sacrifices, all of those things were a shadow. They were a tupas, a pattern of things to come. We talk about types. That's the word, tupas. And it has to do with a tracing of the real thing. Many times when we were younger, we would take our hands around Thanksgiving and we would spread our fingers out and we would trace around our fingers and make it look like a turkey with his tail feathers and his head. Our thumb would be the head and so forth. All of that is a tracing. That is, it's not the hand, it's not a turkey, but it is a tracing of a hand that looks like a turkey. Well, you can take a die or you can take anything that you can trace around. You can trace and make an outline of it, and you can get a picture of what it looks like. But that doesn't mean it is the real thing. It is merely a tracing. Well, that's what a tupas, that's what a type is, that's what a shadow is. It is a tracing of the real thing. You see, the tabernacle was designed after the great worship center in heaven. The temple, which was a more permanent structure, a more stable structure than the tabernacle, which was movable and mobile, it gave us a picture of what the true worship center in heaven was like. In other words, there was an outer court. There was a place where the angelic host would come. There was the Haron. There was that holy place. And in that holy place, there were pieces of furniture, just like there was in the outer court. Then there was a great veil, and that veil behind it was a chest. It had a lid on it, and that was the seat of mercy. And it had symbolic cherubim on top of it, a cherub on each side. And so all of that was showing the way to God. Now, as you go through chapter 9, you will see in verse 6, it says, Now these things had thus been prepared by the priest always. He went into the first part of the tabernacle, which was the holy place, performing services. And there were the pieces of furniture like the lampstand, the menorah, We call it a candlestick, a golden candlestick, but it was a lampstand, a menorah, and it had seven branches, which represented the seven days of creation, six days of creation and the seventh day to rest. And so the people were reminded that God is the one that brought them into existence. God is the one who created heaven and earth and everything that is in it. No room there for transmutive evolution. No, it was God who created everything, designed everything, brought it into existence, and made it happen out of nothing. And then on the right side, as you walked into the tabernacle, facing the gray tapestry, the curtain that was in front, the veil, 
was the table of showbread. That table of showbread had 12 loaves on it. That was to represent the 12 tribes of Israel and God's provision for them. God is the one that gave them the daily manna. He was the one that gave them their daily bread. And then there was, directly in front of the veil, there was an altar of incense that burned all the time. And so you recall in the Bible several occasions, it records people going into that first sanctuary, that first sacred place. Remember, that's where Samuel was, and that's where he was trimming the lamps at night, and he was doing the putting in of the oil and all of the things they need to do. But then it goes on to say, but into the second part, that is the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, It says that the high priest, one person, went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance, the Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made plain. It hadn't yet happened while the first tabernacle was still standing. You see, once a year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the Day of Covering is the Kippur, comes from Kephar, the word which means to cover, because see, it could never take away sin. It could only cover sin until Messiah would come, the one promised in the Garden of Eden in chapter 3 of Genesis chapter 15, when the one who would crush the head of the tempter Satan himself, Diabolos, he would be crushed. And so this is what the high priest would do. He would take two goats. He would reach into a bag and pull out a lot. And one of those would have a word that said a scapegoat, basically as has translated for us. And he would put his hand up on the head of the one that was to die. And he would confess the sins of his own family himself. He would kill that goat. He would take its blood into the Holy of Holies. He would sprinkle it on the ground. He would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. Why? Because that lid covered the chest. The chest had, according to this chapter, it had in it the manna. It had the tablets, the Ten Commandments. It had Aaron's rod that budded. And each one of those were good in themselves. Aaron's rod was a sign of authority. The manna was God's provision. And, of course, the tablets was God's perfect moral law. But here's what happened. No sooner had those things been given at every level until the Jewish people, in rebellion, rebelled against God's authority, against Aaron. They did exactly what God told them not to do with the manna, and they had broken the law before Moses even got down off the mountain and had made a golden calf, breaking the first law, you shall have no other gods before me. And so God could not meet with his people, so he covered that chest and those implements that were in there with a lid that was called the seat of mercy. And in the tabernacle, that was where God met with the people later in the temple. And all of this was God showing through all of these rituals, all of these customs, all of these sacrifices, all of these sanctuaries, everything. He was showing that the way yet had not been made available. This is why they had to do this over and over and over again. Now, let me go back to that second goat. There were two goats. One was the one that was sacrificed. The other was the scapegoat and the blood of the one that was slaughtered. The hands of the priest would go into the blood. He would place 
place the bloody hands on the head of the scapegoat. He would confess the sins of the people, and then he would carry it off. It would be led off into the wilderness. It would never come back, showing that not only had the debt been paid, but the sins had been forgiven, never to be remembered anymore, taken away. It was a visual picture. It was a glorified object lesson. And that's what all of these things were. The blood of bulls and goats, according to chapter 10, in the first four verses of chapter 10, this was the conclusion. It is impossible that the blood of bulls and goats can take away sin. No, it had to be one likened unto us that would come and would take the place of Adam because, you see, Adam was placed into a pristine garden where there had never been sin. Everyone around him, everything around him was absolutely perfect. Sin had not entered into the world because Adam, God's ultimate creation, had never sinned. But when Adam sinned in a perfect world, the entire universe was plunged into sin and the curse came upon not only man, but the entire universe. Now, that's true unless Romans chapter 8 is wrong, because the Bible says the entire universe groans waiting for the redemption. That is when God will make all things right and we will have our glorified bodies and he'll make a new heaven and a new earth and all the children of God will be home that will be saved. And he is going to renovate the universe, new heaven, new earth. That's going to be our eternal home. That's talked about in Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22. But getting back to Hebrews 9 and 10, the Bible teaches clearly in the book of Genesis that God made a promise that there would be a redeemer that would come of Adam's race that would redeem the entire race. Just as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and all who are born in Adam die, so it is that those who followed the Messiah who came and gave his life lived a perfect life in a totally sinful world, in a cursed world, in a cursed universe. He came in to this world as a man, God is his father, just like Adam, but he had an earthly mother, and he took his total humanity from the mother, and he lived a perfect life of obedience and did what Adam did not do. He lived perfectly and obeyed, and yet he died to redeem mankind and to pay the penalty for sin. Now, this is the thing that is so important. When a person is born, they're born into the race of Adam. When they're born again, they're born into the family of God. They are born into the race that is likened unto Jesus. This is why Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. You see, Jesus was just, was righteous, and he died for the unjust. That's all of us. And so those of us who are drawn to him and we repent of our sins, we place our trust in him completely, trusting God's word that he'll do exactly what he said, that if we'll repent of our sins and we'll trust Jesus alone to save us, that he will forgive us, he'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and he will declare us righteous, not because of our righteousness, but because Jesus 
Jesus' righteousness will be placed on our account. And so when we trust Jesus to save us, then we become born again. We are born into God's family. We have a spiritual birth just like we had a physical birth. And we are said to be in God's family or in Christ Jesus. Those in Adam die. Those in Jesus live. As by one man sin entered the world and death by sin, so much more by one man, Jesus, who is the mediator between God and man, when we are in him, we have life and life everlasting, and nothing can separate us from the love of God. For On The Way, this is Tony Crisp. Thanks for listening to On The Way with Tony Crisp. Tune in every weekday for information on biblical passages, people, places, and prophecies. Fridays are for your questions. Email your questions to questions at TonyCrisp.org. Then just listen for your question to be answered on Friday's podcast. That's questions at TonyCrisp.org. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day on the way.